630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. So the Edmonton Elks have altered their schedule for tomorrow. They will not have a scrimmage. They said in tonight's update that the scrimmage has been canceled to provide additional rest and recovery time for players. So they will have a walkthrough tomorrow for about an hour starting at 1130. They will speak to the media after that. Dave and Morley have been covering the team this week. And Sunday, July 18th will remain a regeneration day, which is a new word in everyone's vocabulary. It'll be not a day off. It'll be not a rest day. It'll be a regeneration day. Rob in Capilano. How are things in Capilano tonight, Rob? He says, just a thought, since Edmonton's football team, now the Elks, would that make us Canada's team since the Elk is on our quarter? Just a weird thought. <laughs> and then a big smiley face from Robin Capilano. Uh, Rob, that is a weird thought. And you're a frequent texter and listener to the show, which makes you a weird man. Who would have a weird thought or two, which I admire. So thank you for that. 780-496-0063 is how you text or call. If you're calling, you're using the hotline presented by CertainTeed, professional-grade building materials. Uh, baseball tonight, Blue Jays cruising up 6 nothing in the bottom of the sixth against the Rangers. As I mentioned, the Blue Jays will be back home, Rogers Centre in Toronto, for the first time since September of 2019, starting on July 30th. And the Open Championship playing for the Claret Jug. This sounds like something you would want to win, even if you knew something about sports or knew nothing about sports. Hey, would you like to win the Claret Jug? Sure. What is it? It's for a golf tournament. Great. I want to try to win it. Louis Oosthuizen is 11 under par. Colin Morikawa is 9 under par. Jordan Spieth is 8 under par. That's the top three going into the weekend. And the Big L says it's actually a caribou on the Canadian quarter. Fair enough. Wasn't there a song on Sesame Street, Kellen? Our quarter has a caribou on it. On it was that on Sesame Street or some hinterland <laughs> vignette? That that predates me <laughs> a little bit, so I have no idea. I remember the old kids show Camp Caribou though that used to be on uh, well one of our course properties YTV back in the day. I used to watch that endlessly. So oh, I don't know what that is. It was fun. When I was see when I was a kid, there were there were two kids shows uh, on in the morning. There was Mr. Dress-Up uh -huh. and reruns of Dallas. <laughs> okay. That's, that's what we had. That's what we had. That's my my generation grew up a little different. The uh, the content for children, it was either Mr. Dress-Up or J.R. Ewing. <laughs> that's, that's what we had. It was a different, different market. This texture says the Paradise Valley rink has deep-fried pizza pops. So that sounds good. Paradise Valley back out in the uh, Midwest, the Lloydminster region where I used to work. There's a Paradise Valley and a Paradise Hill, uh, which is it? I believe Paradise, I, I, I used to know this, Paradise Hill is the Alberta one, and I think Paradise Valley is the Saskatchewan one. 50-50, I hope I'm getting it right. Anyway, that's, we'll have to, that's, that's something we could do. We could do food offerings at uh, small town rinks. That would be pretty fun. 780-496-0063 if you want to join the fun or 
talk about hockey or really anything. It's Friday night. It's the summer. Uh, I'm open to anything. But we're going to bring a former big league pitcher onto the show. He played for the Expos. He now works here in Edmonton where he grew up. It is Mike Johnson checking in. Mike, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Good, Reed. How are you? I'm doing great. It's always awesome to catch up with you. And uh, I know you're working hard at the Five Tool Fieldhouse. And of course, like a lot of businesses, there have been some challenges. How are things going at the Fieldhouse? Uh, not too bad. I mean, now that uh, now that we're allowed to be fully open again, it's actually been a pretty busy summer, which is a little bit out of the norm. But uh, just kind of got the feeling like Parents are feeling like they're a little bit behind the eight ball. Kids haven't been able to practice, so we're getting to see a lot of them come through our doors, which is uh, definitely welcome considering the last year and a half. So tell me about, because uh, you guys offer everything there, right? You you want to go in there and hit, pitch, run. like You can pretty much work on any skill you want in the field house. Oh, yeah. That, um, yeah. I mean, obviously, we're batting cages, so like our main thing is like people coming in and hitting, but... Yeah, you can come in and, and work with our staff uh, as far as individual skills. But if uh, you just want somewhere to hang out for an hour for the night with your buddies, you can come out and hit anything from baseball, slow pitch, softball. And uh, we even get some cricket groups out there. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. To get guys cricket in there. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, have you ever thrown a cricket pitch in your life? <laughs> uh, uh, I have not. And yeah. Don't really plan to anywhere in the near future, that's for sure. <laughs> there we go. Former big league pitcher Mike Johnson joining us tonight on Inside Sports. Uh, he runs the 5-2 Fieldhouse. You can check him out online, 5-2 Fieldhouse. So I, I want to dive into a couple things here from, from the baseball season. And, uh, you know, you pitched. And I feel like whenever I'm watching baseball highlights... I'm seeing a pitcher having to show the ump his glove under his hat. I think a couple guys have kind of outright pulled their pants down. What's going on with this foreign substance and these accusations? And there seems to be a lot more of this than there have been probably in any other year I've ever watched baseball. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a funny thing. It's, it's obviously been reported on. It's been going on for, for years. Um, as far as guys using different different things to <clears throat> basically get a grip on the ball, and now obviously with like all the analytic on all the analytics and spin rate and launch angle with hitters and stuff like that, <clears throat> um, I think it's gotten a like they've obviously like looked into it a little bit more. But I mean, being a pitcher, I'd be lying if I said that I didn't like use something in certain occasions to not necessarily aid in that because back when I played, like nobody cared about spin rate or anything like that. For me, I used it when I was down in Puerto Rico where it's like hundred percent humidity and it's about 34 degrees and you're pitching. And for me, it was just a matter of being able to hold on to the ball. And that's kind of the way I look at it with these guys too, is like you look at a hitter, hitter puts pine tar. They put that spray on their bat. Why do they put that on? So they have a grip on the bat. And they can hold on to it so we're not seeing bats being helicoptered into the stands and and hitting kids and families out in there but pitchers putting something on their hands to get a grip on the baseball you could almost consider it a little bit more of a of a safety type issue too because i mean there's no doubt no doubt in anybody's mind like guys are throwing the ball substantially harder than they did even like 15 20 years ago well if one of those balls gets away 
and drills a guy in the head or something like we're we're talking stuff pretty seriously. I mean, just ask Kevin Pillar from the Mets what what he thinks if he would if he would rather a guy being able to hold on to the ball a little bit better. So when you were doing that in Puerto Rico, and thanks for sharing that, um, what was the substance, and where did you have it on you? Uh, it was the little pine start, the little pine tar stick that guys rub on the on the handle of their bat. So all I did is I took that and I rubbed it on my belt. So, I mean, I wasn't obvious about it, but basically I just looked to kind of like give my pants a little bit of a hike and I did get a little bit of stickiness on my fingertips. And the reason I use that is because whenever I know that there's rosin back there and that's kind of used for that. I found when I use rosin, I actually created blisters on my fingers. So I had to find some other thing to, to give me a little bit of grip on the ball because I was sweating so much that my hand was wet and the ball would slip out of my hand. Did you ever get the impression that anybody cared that you were doing it? I mean, guys, there must have been opponents that understood what you were doing. Were you ever challenged or because I'm sure you were? No, never. Yeah. like No, never. Because like I said, for, for me, like, it's not like it really increased my stuff or anything. It, it allowed me to control the ball to, a little bit better as far as where I wanted to throw it. But didn't make me throw harder. Didn't make my breaking ball like any, any, any better, any tighter that, that I found, I didn't see a difference in it. And yeah, nobody ever said anything, but I don't, I honestly don't think anybody was aware of it. That's kind of the same thing with these guys. Like you don't see guys, you see guys with like stuff on their hat, whatever, like maybe probably some pine tar or whatever on their hat. And that's obviously pretty obvious, but you think back over the last like 15, 20 years, like, I think it was like like a guy like Craig Kimbrell has like a really dark spot right on the front of his hat. Well, that's obvious. It's pine tars, and he grabs his hat there, and he's getting he's getting a little bit of stick on his on his fingers to in order to throw the ball. So, I mean, it's kind of a double edged sword. Hitters are complaining because strikeouts are up, but my argument to that is is maybe guys should be looking to put the ball in play and hitting against the shift a little bit more instead of everybody in the lineup trying to hit thirty bombs every year. <laughs> That's a good point. Small ball seems to be dying off a, a little bit. Uh, so when you talk about the spin rate, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's, you know, I, I saw some highlight pack. I can't remember what station I was watching, but it was like the last time he pitched, this was the spin rate. And now this is the spin rate. So something must be up. And I'm like, okay, so does the spin rate, does that only affect the breaking pitches or does that affect the fastballs as well? Oh, affects the fastball. Like the faster you can spin the ball, the faster the ball is going to go. Okay, so the it's not just about the break on the ball. Okay. No, and the faster you can spin a breaking ball, the tighter that break is going to be. Also. Okay. Well, I, I'm glad you didn't play in the era where you had to undress to prove that you were honest. <laughs> no, I was lucky. I got to play in the steroid era. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's we've had that conversation too. That's a whole other can yeah. of worms, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> Mike Johnson, former Montreal Expo, joining us tonight on Inside Sports. Okay, so he told you what's going on with uh, the spin rate and the uh, pitchers being checked for foreign substances and all that kind of stuff. So the next time you see that in a game, Mike's giving you a, a bit of an idea of what's going on, which is pretty good. Hey, uh, Vladdy Jr., and, and I know you talked about uh, what you were on last year about the the, the, the picture, right, of Vladdy Jr. and Vladdy Sr. I think you were in that game, which was uh, yep. pretty cool. Uh, I mean, he's just a blast to watch, isn't he, Jr.? 
He is really. I mean, um, obviously, I saw him back in Montreal when when uh, when he was just enjoying eating ice cream out of the clubhouse. But uh, and then I got to see him again uh, in a workout in the Dominican with when we were down there with the junior national team, and our guys kind of had a home run hitting contest against some Dominican guys, and and he was in there when he was 16 years old, and he was pretty impressive. And to kind of see where he's gotten to now, I mean. Obviously, those genes, those genes are carrying him a long ways as far as what his dad was able to do. But, uh, but no, really, really impressive on, on how he's kind of matured as a hitter and his approach. And a little bit wild early on, trying to maybe do a little bit too much. But uh, no, he's he's turned into kind of what everybody thought he was going to be. Do you? How do you compare junior and senior? Because Vladdy Senior had that reputation that you could bounce it, it could be eye high, and he could still find a way to drive it is there any of that in in junior or how do you compare their approaches at the plate um i i think that's what uh, kind of getting back to like early on when he was with toronto i think that was kind of his more approach like kind of see ball and try and hit it no matter kind of where it was and i think that got him into that got him into a little bit of trouble where pitchers just could expand the zone on him run the ball up and on him now he's being a lot more selective and his approach has changed as far as as far as his dad. His dad was a real special talent, but uh, they're two. I find they're two different players. I would say I'd say Junior's a little bit more polished as a hitter, whereas Vladdy Senior was just straight raw talent, and and uh, and Junior's got that talent, but with a I think a little bit more kind of solid approach as far as like what he's doing up at the plate, and uh, and what he's trying to do, and then. Same same thing, kind of like defensive, like defensively, even offensively. Like um, senior was like a real dynamic player, defensively, with his legs on the bases, with his arm in the outfield, and obviously juniors built just a little bit different than than senior is, and he uh, still gets down the line fine. But that's that's where their games really kind of, for me, really kind of differentiate a little bit. A little bit more polished as a hitter, but. Dad was dad was five tool a five tool guy like on the field and with the bat. Right on. Well, Mike, thanks for hopping on. I always love talk, talking baseball with you, and you always give us something good behind the scenes, and you certainly did that tonight. Continued success at five two Fieldhouse, and we'll keep in touch, buddy. Sounds good. Always a pleasure, Reed. That is great stuff there from Mike Johnson, runs five-tool Fieldhouse here in Edmonton. Used to play for the Montreal Expos with Vladdy Sr. And there he told you about uh, putting substances on the baseball. And he said, yeah, I did it in Puerto Rico to help grip the ball. I have to admit, I feel a huge amount of shame because I messed it up. So much for those seven years I lived in the border city and got to know all the small towns in the Midwest. I, I screwed up. Paradise Valley is the one in Alberta south of kit scotty paradise hill is the one in saskatchewan uh northeast of lloyd kind of uh you know it's just a little southwest of st walberg i i honestly feel terrible so i apologize to the people of those communities Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
I well, I really, I just apologize to everybody at this point. Paradise Valley, Alberta, Paradise Hill, Saskatchewan. Back after the break. Uh, Yakushev says, uh, hello, Reed, not to give a geography lesson, but Paradise Hill, Saskatchewan, Paradise Valley, Alberta. But as long as you find Paradise, it doesn't matter where it is. Thank you, Yakushev, you beautiful old goose. Trent Brown from James H. Brown and Associates is coming up between 730 and 8, 1993 Great Cup champion. Love having Trent on the show. We'll have some laughs to take you into the weekend. Okay, let's do it, Kellen. We're, we're going to skip let's do the it. complicated rules explanation. Everybody knows what name, it is anyway. It is name the animal, the most popular animal identification segment mm. on 630 Chet. Go ahead. Here we go. That's a muskox. No. Uh, it's, uh, it's an otter. It is not an otter. Uh, is it? A, is it like a bovine type animal? It is not. No, it's more of a, a smaller mammal. So, so it's like it could be like an otter. Then, is it a beaver? It is not a beaver. Okay. Is it bigger than a house cat? Uh, it can be. Yep. Can be. Okay. It's about the same size as a house cat. About the Is it? Uh, is it really furry? It is not. It's not furry, but it's a mammal, you said? Yes. So mammals do have hair, but it's not really furry. Uh, have, do you think I've ever seen one in person? Uh, maybe. If you've ever been to the southwestern United States, you've definitely seen one. Uh, I've only been to California. Okay, so what's down there? Is it an armadillo? It is. Oh, they're not. Oh, it is an armadillo? Armadillo! Oh Woo! This is the best day of my life. Well, top ten. That's... <laughs> that is an armadillo. That's an armadillo. All right. Well, I did. I mean, you always, I've only once got it correct without any hints at all. Somehow I knew walrus. I did. You did. You did a good job leading me along, but not totally giving it away. Right. Name the animal. Now people are guessing on the text line. Somebody wondered if it's a porcupine. Yeah. Who knows? I don't even know. The thing is, I, I have learned by doing name the animal how little I know about how animals actually sound. And for the first time, I think, I didn't guess a type of a bird. I usually guess some type of bird first. So there we go, everybody. It is an armadillo featured tonight on Name the Animal. I hope you have all learned something. There's probably somebody out listening who's an expert in armadillos sitting back with their pipe and their glass of scotch. Oh, Pip Pip, that's an armadillo, Mr. Wilkins. How do you not know that? Trent Brown coming up. Thing. They're leading the Texas Rangers in the middle of the seventh. Vladdy Jr., who we were talking about earlier in the show with Mike Johnson, two home runs up to 30 on the season. So the Blue Jays cruising tonight, playing in Buffalo. 
And remember, they're going to be back in Toronto July 30th. That was announced today. Robbie Ray uh, went six and two-thirds for the Jays, did not allow a run. Four hits, a couple of walks, eight strikeouts, exactly 100 pitches. Pretty good outing there. Trade today in the National Hockey League, actually in the first hour of the show. Nick Letty goes to Detroit for Richard Panic and a second rounder, which was originally the Oilers. They sent it to Detroit in the double-A trade. Andreas Athanasiu and uh, Richard Panic having part of his uh, half of his salary retained by the Detroit Red Wings as well. NHL draft one week from today. The first round, we'll have it for you here on 6.30, Chet, and then coverage of rounds two through seven on Saturday as well. The Edmonton Elks will not scrimmage tomorrow. They're going to have a team walkthrough instead from 11.30 to 12.30, and uh, Sunday will remain not a day off. It'll be a regeneration day. And a former member of the double E football team, Trent Brown, joins us on the line right now. Trent, thanks for checking in. And uh, thanks again to James H. Brown for remaining the title sponsor of Inside Sports. We really do appreciate that. And thanks for making time to come on the show. I was saying earlier, the lingo just keeps getting more and more complicated. Like when you played, wasn't it just a day off and now it's a regeneration day? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, you got that right. It's uh, been a crazy year. Uh, it used to be nice and simple back in the nineties when I played, uh, but, uh, it just keeps, uh, changing every year and getting more complicated every year. It's sort of funny. I actually hadn't heard that they aren't going to be playing and I gather that's from the smoke in the air and. Yeah, well, what they put out was, uh, I, I just got the official release. It actually came out during my show about 6.30. The scrimmage has been canceled to provide, it says additional rest and recovery time. And obviously yeah. this would have been announced after the the media availabilities for today. So yeah, that could, I wonder if the smoke would be a bit of a fact. Did you ever have to practice in like smoky or bad air conditions or play in like smog in Toronto or anything like that? Whenever it got real bad, they typically canceled it just for health concerns. And I suspect that that's what happened this time, Reed. Um, it's a little bit concerning though, because there's no preseason this year in the, uh, and heading into your first game without even a scrimmage, jeez, uh, I wouldn't want to be in those guys' shoes. Well, yeah, I assume they'll scrimmage at some point later on. This is like this is a long training camp, and I've been asking guys that. I mean, I was on a Zoom availability with uh, Elizondo last week, and I asked him about that. Talked to Blake this week, and, and Eddie Steele, who's joining our broadcast team as well. So I want to ask you, and. and I feel like players have a bit of a love-hate relationship with training camp, maybe more hate than love. But <laughs> what have you, like, do you, how much preseason action did you prefer when you played? Well, that's, uh, that's an excellent way to describe it. I think, Reed, uh, love and hate. Uh, look, camp is good, right? Uh, you have to get through camp in two-a-days, make sure you're healthy. It puts a lot of stress on your legs and your body. So, you know, you sort of make sure that you're fit and you're ready to go for the season. It also sort of establishes a pecking order. And so it serves a purpose. It's well needed. But uh, does a veteran player like to practice twice a day and scrimmage and stuff when you've got a young rookie that's scratching at your eyes and trying to make the team? No. Now, uh, but it's nice to get a few reps in uh, the preseason at, uh, this, at, at uh, the start of each year. Um, but typically the veterans don't play a lot in those preseason games and they're used mostly to evaluate the young talent. So if you're a young guy and you're trying to make the team, those games are critical, right? Uh, because they can make or break, uh, 
your career. I mean, if you have a good preseason game as a rookie, you can make the team. And if you don't get any reps or if you don't get in or if you don't play well, well, then you've got a very uh, low likelihood of making the team. So it serves a purpose. A training camp, uh, no, guys don't look forward to training camp. But in some ways, it's fun. I mean, you eat good. You there's a lot of camaraderie joking around that goes on because you're living with the guys for, you know, three three or four weeks. But uh, So love and hate is a great way to describe it. Yeah, I love it, but I hate it. So when you, I think 91 was your first year. Yeah. Was the job available? Did you have to beat out a veteran? Yeah. Like how competitive or, and I know, and look, I, I've done a lot of questions like this, and, and I know people who play at the highest level of a sport are wired to be competitive, and they know, you know, you, before you beat guys on the other team, you, have to, you often have to beat guys on your own team. So what was that process like for you? Was it ever uncomfortable? Did the vets sort of shun you for a while? Like, how did you work your way in? Do you want to know what? Yeah, like when you're a rookie on a team, especially if, if uh, you're, you're good, it's hard to get reps in training camp. Because if you're a smart veteran, you keep the rookies with low reps. And it's actually the players' union in the CFL that kept the training camps uh, short for a long time because it worked in favor of the current players to keep the training camps short. Um, Guys that are coming up from the state, it takes them a while to learn the new game, the CFL game. And if the training camps are short and if you can minimize their reps, it uh, it sort of gives you a little bit of job security so to speak right like it's hard for somebody to come in and take your job uh my situation in the early 90s um there was a guy by the name of dan murphy who was a third pick overall in the cfl draft and he was coming in as as uh, as a highly touted sort of rookie and uh and so yeah it it was an uphill battle there were lots of uh uh, uh, back and forth where I would play a few games and he would play a few games and uh, there were a few articles in the newspaper about the Murphy Brown saga and uh, and I was I guess uh, pretty lucky and fortunate at the end of the day to finally win that battle out but we sort of did a tag team for a number of years there before I guess around the mid 90s I finally sort of established myself as uh, the starting safety so uh so there was a little bit of back and forth and and that's sort of pretty par for the course i uh think now now i was very fortunate to play uh with a great group of guys on uh, the defense but uh um some of those guys were wily veterans and and once i became a veteran uh yeah when there's a guy that's trying to take your job you make sure that he isn't getting the good reps for sure yeah Right. Uh, Trent Brown joining us tonight on Inside Sports. I had Aaron Grimes on the show on Wednesday, and, and I taped the interview in the afternoon because he had a little bit of a break because he's like, it's insane. Like, they're in meetings all day. I don't know how yeah. they can co- – like, it's more intense than the most – to me than the maybe not the most intense university program. I'm not saying it's like trying to be a doctor or maybe – well, I can ask you that because you are a lawyer. What was more studying, the, your playbook or your law degree? <laughs> well, Reed, that is funny. But, you know, football, it is a very cerebral sport. And if you get inside your playbook and you know the plays out there, there's a, 
there's there's real on each down and distance and certain formations there's real tendencies that offenses have so so on second and nine uh when they're in a spread formation with split backs there might be a 70 or 80 percent chance that they'll run a certain play and so if you're a safety and you can tell all of the guys on your whole defense what play is coming uh it it's it's a big advantage and and i certainly use that to my advantage uh i became a little bit of an academic with respect to tendencies back then we had a defensive coordinator named rich stubler who used to give us breakdowns of teams and uh, and and he he would break down every play that that team ran for the entire year and sort of give us spreadsheets about what plays were coming. And so if you're playing with a rookie who's in his first year, let's say they shipped him up from somewhere in the States and he's on the D-line, he really doesn't know what's going on, and you're telling him what play it is, if that guy's got talent, and we had a lot of guys with a lot of talent, uh, you, then I don't have to make too many tackles back there as a free safety. When we had guys like Benny Goods and Melvin Hunter and Willie Plus, when you could tell those guys the play that was coming, you know, and in turn, they sort of like to play with you, right? So, so uh, yeah, yeah, football is a lot more academic than a lot more than a lot of people realize, I think, you yeah. know. Well, I like how you put that because there is so much to think about and there are so many different positions on the field at the same time and guys who are doing different jobs. I mean, I said this to somebody earlier this week. If you look at hockey, I realize players have roles, but even the lowest scoring defensive defenseman might get two or three goals a year, right? But right. an offensive lineman will never catch a pass. Like, it's actually against the rules for him to catch yeah. a pass. <laughs> a football, there's a lot of moving parts, right? Like, you got a lot of guys in. An average play lasts four or five seconds. So there's a lot of moving parts. A lot of stuff can go wrong. Uh, but when stuff goes right, it is a lot of fun. And uh, and I'm happy that football season's back on. It's been a tough year on everybody. And when sports gets back rolling again, you know, you feel like things are getting back to normal a little bit. So I'm looking forward to a, to a good year of football watching the Elks play. Yeah, me too. And I'm excited about, you know, seeing Harris again and, and, and Walker's back and, and Grimes is back. James Wilder Jr. I think it'd be exciting at running back. So there's some good storylines there as well. Yeah, no, Grimes, uh, really happy about him in the secondary. They need some leadership in that secondary you know, the CFL is a passing league, so you get a veteran like that, a very talented veteran that knows what's going on. Hopefully he can be an anchor for that team in, in uh, the secondary. Oh, and one thing that I wanted to tell you, too, that I'm not sure that you know, the head coach has uh, has uh, has uh, his law degree also. He isn't a lawyer, but he does have a degree in law. So he's not just a... a football coach, but uh, he has quite an academic background himself. See, you're disappointing all the people who uh, think that sports is full of dumb jocks. <laughs> this is good, though. This is good. <laughs> well, maybe that we are dumb jocks, and that's how we got into law school. We just uh, I told them that we were football players. and they <laughs> There we go. Uh, a couple uh, people ty- uh, typing in tonight on the text line, 780-496-0063. This person said, so excited to hear that Trent Brown is on the show tonight. Back in 1996... A friend and I had not whole gang season tickets. After one game, Trent and Jed Roberts invited us to come watch the practices that week. 
and we ended up going uh, home every day with a cooler full of pop water or Gatorade. <laughs> so nice. there you go. Yeah, so yeah. you guys were handing out, handing out drinks. And I don't know if you'll remember this name. He, he actually rode in at 6.42 p.m., so over an hour ago. He was so excited about you coming on. Uh, the name is Royal, R-O-Y-L-E. He says he lives in Phoenix. And he says, I look forward to hearing from Trent Brown, my good buddy from Windsor Park. Ask him about winning minor hockey week as nine-year-olds. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you know who that is? <laughs> I sure I sure do, boy. And I haven't spoken to him in many, many years. Uh, but, yeah, geez, it, it goes way back. And it's funny. Uh, throughout your life, you make a lot of connections in, in uh, sport. And it's funny how I haven't spoken to him and probably geez i don't want to date myself but more than 40 years uh and i can see his face and i and, and back when we were playing hockey we were those stupid little mouth guards you know those plastic mouth guards if you right. got hit if, if like back then if you got hit in the face with a puck that mouth guard would not do a lick of good it'd knock <laughs> all all of your teeth out like now of course they got the full cages but uh but back then yeah yeah well Royal, if uh, you are listening to the show here, uh, hi, it's great to hear from you and miss you, brother. All right, a couple more for you. This, thanks for being so generous with your time. I love having you on. So uh, there was scuffling at Elks practice yesterday, and I had Eddie Steele yeah. on, and I said, I, I, I don't know if it's even a story anymore. At some point, there's uh, fighting among teammates at camp because I think they, they just get under each other's nerves, and in Edmonton, it's way hotter than normal and all that kind of stuff. Uh, any altercations memorable from your career teammate against teammate in camp yeah there was look uh when you're living with a bunch of guys and you're not seeing your family and it's hot outside and you're not sleeping good and you're practicing twice a day uh and if you're fighting for your life too uh it 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 gets emotional out there Reed, and it gets intense uh I I can remember Ronnie Lancaster used to always love it though when fights would happen and he would act like he was pissed off sometimes and send us off the field. But why he liked it is because you want to uh, play right on the edge. You you want practices to be intense, but you don't want guys getting hurt. And so when you're riding that fine line, you know it's sometimes you go a little bit too far. But then you pull back a little bit, right? But you got to be on that line. If guys aren't fighting, you're probably not going hard enough. You know, like when you're sort of doing battle with a guy and he's holding on to your sort of shirt and making you look bad, you know, sometimes you got to be willing to fight so he knows that he can't hold you. And I, uh, when I look back, I, I can remember having to tell some rookies sometimes, like when you're in a game, like when you're out there and a the guy's holding you, Sometimes you got to fight them. I mean, you can't let a guy hold you. You got to do whatever you got to do to get out. And sometimes it means fighting. Sometimes it means throwing a punch. And if you do it, uh, he probably isn't going to hold you again. You know, and, and, uh, right. <laughs> so, so frankly, I think it's good. I think it means that they're actually getting some good work done at camp. And I think the coach probably, even if he says he's pissed off about it, he isn't. He's probably happy. Fights fights happen. you got the growing men out there going to battle. So, Yeah, I hear you there. Hey, uh, thank you. This is all. We, we'll have you on uh, regularly throughout the season. And again, thanks to James H. Brown for being a huge part of Inside Sports. And uh, you guys were a huge part of uh, a pretty important 50-50 two or three weeks ago. What was that about again? 
Yeah, that was uh, the uh, women's dinner. Uh, now, I don't know if you've ever been to that event or, or uh, heard about that event, but it started um, in honor of Pam, who worked in the front office there for many, many years, and she lost her, her uh, battle to ovarian cancer. And so they started a fundraiser in support of women's health. And so they approached us and asked us to be a sponsor. And to me, it was a no-brainer read. It was a great cause. And I had a personal connection to Pam, who worked in the front office back in the 90s. And anybody that played back then knew Pam because she was not only a staff member in the front office, but a surrogate mother to a lot of the guys that came up from the States and just a great lady. Um, And so, but if you've ever been to that dinner, uh, the first time that I went... Uh, that is one of the most fun fundraisers I've ever been to, and I've been to a lot of them, but one of the best events in uh, the city of Edmonton, so I encourage any women out there that want to go and have a fun night, have a tour of the locker room, drink some champagne with some of the players, and great silent auction. Just what a, like, like I can't wait until it's up and running. We missed a couple years. This year they canceled it but they had the 50-50 instead because they still wanted to raise some money in support of women's uh, fight against cancer. All of the money goes to research for uh, for ovarian cancer in support of women's health, and uh, it's a great function, great dinner, and we're happy to be associated with it, really happy to be part of that. So, Yeah, well said. Trent, great to have you on the show. I hope you have a good regeneration day tomorrow. Well, thank you very much, my friend. It's always good talking to you. Do you want to know what? There's no regeneration for me this weekend. My four-year-old is having uh, her fourth birthday, and we're throwing her a big party. So happy birthday, Brooklyn, and uh, no rest for me this weekend. But thanks for having me on, Reed. It's always a pleasure. Keep up the good work, and, uh, and we'll talk to you down the road here. That is Trent Brown, and happy birthday to Brooklyn. Trent from Jane James Brown and Associates and a former safety with the Double E football team. Back after the break. Blue Jays cruising, leading the Rangers 10-0 in the seventh. Louie Oosthuizen leads the Open Championship 11-under. Colin Morikawa is 9-under. Jordan Spieth is 8-under. Trade tonight. Nick Letty goes from the Islanders to the Red Wings for Richard Panic in a second-round pick. And Detroit retains half of Panic's salary. Peter texting in. He says, me and the boys are listening to your show while we set up camp for my brother's stag party out at the lake. Sounds like a blast. Thanks for tuning in. Have fun, guys. Hey, really appreciate everybody tuning in tonight. Hope you have a great regeneration weekend. Thanks to Dave Campbell, the producer of the show. Kellen Kennedy, your studio operator. I got to go pick up my dad. Talk to you Monday. Until tomorrow, I'll just keep moving on. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.